You know, one of the characteristics of summertime that many of us enjoy is the access to a, a wider variety of fresh fruit. In fact, it'd be interesting just to go around the room this morning and ask that question, what is your favorite fruit? And maybe more importantly, and in what form do you like that fruit delivered? Now, I, I'm sure some people would talk about watermelon. I know our family's already had several of them this year, love it in the summertime. When I was growing up, my dad had a method of thumping them in the grocery store that he claimed would tell him whether or not they were ripe. The older I've gotten, I put that one up there with um, Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. I'm just going to tell you, I don't think that's true. But he was pretty effective at picking good ones. But I love watermelon for sure. As I've gotten older, I've even started to like cantaloupe. And I, I'm, not, I'm not even sure why. I was looking at that picture this morning, and that picture doesn't even do a whole lot for me, but it, it, it reminds me of, of summertime, and we eat a lot of it around our house. I'm sure, I, I'm sure a number of people would say, well, strawberries, strawberries, especially if the delivery system is one of those right there, right? A freshly made strawberry pie, now, no doubt fruit and, and whipped cream, that's a delightful combination. Do you agree with that? Some of our, our longtime members uh, might recall uh, a gentleman that was part of our church for many years. His name was uh, Marvin Davis, Marvin Davis. And Marvin Davis used to make a seven-berry pie in, in the summertime. And um, I mentioned that at Faith East last week, and somebody asked me afterward, what, seven berries, what were they? I never stopped while I was eating to actually count or notice. I'm just saying, that's what he called the thing, uh, seven-berry pie, and we used to have them... The Caleb's Kin Group, he was part of our senior citizens at our house in the summertime. <laughs> our family would ask, is Marvin coming? And um, we loved Marvin as a person, but, but <laughs> also, is he going to bring one of, those, one of those pies? And part of what was interesting for him, Marvin was the long time, for decades, the, um, uh, the, the director or the leader of the, pro, I guess you call him the produce manager at, at one of our local grocery stores. But, but he whispered to me once, he said, now look, when I go to make that pie, sometimes our store doesn't have the, the kind of fruit I really want. So I, I, I sneak over to one of our competitors and, and buy fruit from them. And, and I wondered, now, do you put on a disguise? I mean, you got a, like dark glasses and a big nose. I mean, what, but, but, but there's a guy, there's a guy who appreciated fruit. And I say, why, why are you talking to us about this this morning other than making us well, hungry? Well, well. You know, it's interesting, I think, that the Bible uses that exact same metaphor of fruitfulness to describe what can be true and what, what should be true of genuine followers of Jesus Christ. You could illustrate that in just so many different ways, but one of the passages that might come to your mind right away, and it's interesting that Paul was speaking to the legalistic Galatians when he said this, but the fruit of the Spirit... See, move away from legalism because here's something far better, that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and, and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such that there is no law. What's that sound like right there? Well, that, that sounds like one of Marvin Davis's pies, doesn't it? Except in a person's character, fr fruitful, a person's lifestyle. Or you may remember when Jesus said this. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. By the way, it would be good for all God's people to remember that every day, that that phrase right there kind of puts everybody in their place, right? You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And, 
And I appointed you that you would go and what? Bear fruit. We're to be fruitful people. And here's a promise that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Now, here's why that matters this morning. As you know, our church's theme all this year has been hope for everyday life. And so what have we been doing? We've spent um, the bulk of this year so far working our way very systematically through the book of 1 Peter, which was written about 65 A.D. Please remember that date. To people who were scattered around the Roman Empire because of their faith as a result of the increasing persecution on Christians by wicked Emperor Nero. And part of what we found in that study, both amazing and encouraging, is that what Peter affirms is that people like you and me, um, even if we're having trials and hardships and difficulties, and we all are, we can still be people of hope. And that's why that book begins with, with this affirmation, 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to what? A, a living hope. How could your hope be alive well, it's because you have a living Savior inside of you, right? That, that's what the, through the, there's the gospel right there, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, now this summer, you could say it this way, I think we're, we're dipping our toes into the book of 2 Peter. I'll explain why I said it that way in j- just a minute, but, but 2 Peter now. That book's written three years later, and Peter's especially concerned now about false teaching. So 2 Peter's a lot different than 1 Peter. He's concerned about false teaching that's infiltrating the church. And there's the, how this fits together logically is there's a lack of fruit. And that's true doctrinally and that's true practically. And here's how we could say it. Genuine hope always produces lasting fruit. Do you believe that? So think about our theme this year. Hope for everyday life. If you have that, genuine hope is always going to produce lasting fruit in what you and I believe and in how you and I behave. And so Peter had every reason to, to be concerned if he was seeing a, a, a lack of that. And I might say, okay, I get that. Why are you saying we're just dipping our toes in Second Peter right now? Well, it's summertime, and so people are in and out, right? So you're going to have one weekend where you won't be in church because you're going to be at somebody's wedding, and that, that's a great thing to do. You're going to um, have another Sunday where you're going to be gone because you're going to be visiting Aunt Matilda. I mean, you, you, you ought to do that, and, and God bless her. And so we're in and out in the summertime, and, and we want folks to enjoy their vacations and enjoy their family time. We're certainly not ever going to shame anybody for any of that. But if you start a brand-new verse-by-verse systematic study in the summertime, the, the logic is going to fall short for many just because they're not able to be there. So, so, so here's what we're doing. This is the, the plan. We're, we're, we're doing a series, and Pastor Stefan introduced this last week, so I'm just reminding you of what are we doing. This is a series entitled Hope for Fruitful Service. And so for this seven-week block of time, we're isolating our attention on the seven character qualities that are given in 2 Peter 1, 5-7. And we're planning to use an example from the Old Testament to try to illustrate each one of those seven characteristics. So, so that allows us not to be doing a verse-by-verse study when people are going to be in and out. It also allows us to bring some teaching in from the Old Testament because we try to balance our, our teaching here um, from the Old Testament and, and the New Testament. Then in the second half of the summer, we're going to talk about the spiritual gifts. Why? Because that's part of fruitfulness. 
if that's what we're going to talk about this summer, fruitfulness, these seven character qualities, and then the spiritual gifts. And you may remember that Peter at the end of First Peter had actually raised that topic uh, of spiritual gifts. And then, Lord willing, um, once the fall hits, and it'll be here before we know it, you know it? It's amazing how quickly time goes. And if Jesus has not returned first, uh, but assuming we're still here at the end of the summer, we're going to come back to Second Peter, and we're going to go verse by verse through the book of Second Peter. Now, with all that in mind, here's what I need to ask you to do. And this, we don't usually ask you to do two, but I need to ask you to turn to two passages of Scripture. Are you up for that? I know it's the summer, I know, but we have to have two passages. So go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and Daniel chapter 1. So 2 Peter chapter 1, and if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you'll find that on page 183 of the back section of the New Testament. So 2 Peter chapter 1, that's where we're going to start. Then Daniel chapter 1, and that's on page 628 of the, the front section of the the Old Testament. And, and we're going to be talking this morning about growing the fruit of moral excellence. That, that's the, the first characteristic that, that Peter mentions in this list. And we hope to illustrate that. You're talking about moral excellence or integrity would probably be the way that we would say that today. Boy, Daniel is surely a great example of moral excellence or integrity, and there's some huge lessons from his life. So I'm in 2 Peter now, beginning, and I'm going to read chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, just to give us a running start, but we're um, aiming for verses 5, 6, and 7. You ready? Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. Now, in your mind, please, or maybe physically, just note that word excellence at the end of verse 3. Now, verse 4, for by these... He's granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. We're skipping all of that. Although it pains me to skip all of that, we'll come back and hit that this fall, Lord willing. But here's where we're at now. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith supply. Now, just stop there for a second. It's like, what? Wait, wait, wait. Applying all, so you got to work at it, and you're actually adding something to your faith. Well, what? These seven things. Moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. I'm going to stop right there, and that pains me too, because what's said next is great, but I'm trying to be disciplined about all this. So now go back to Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to look at a great example of what does moral excellence, or what does, what does integrity look like? So in Daniel 1.1, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. That's a really bad thing. We're reading now about the Babylonian captivity. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. 
along with some of the vessels into the house of, or of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. That's one of the ways you showed that you had, had um, uh, overtaken a country. You grabbed the, the uh, items from their house of worship and bring it to yours. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of the officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel. That's what happened. This is a deportation. That they take leading citizens from Jerusalem and they take them to, to Babylon. Uh, again, right in the middle of verse 3, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom there is no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he, he ordered them him to teach them, these Jewish youths, the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and he appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. So they're being trained as Jewish young men, you understand, that to, to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. I wonder why he did that. To Daniel, he assigned the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. We'll talk about the meaning of those names, but it's going to be a long time before we get there. But, but Daniel, but Daniel, made up his mind that he would not defile himself. Now there, there's, what is that? That's moral excellence right there. That's integrity. He would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the official. And the commander of the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my lord, the king. And by the way, he had every reason to be afraid of Nebuchadnezzar, who's appointed your food and your drink. For, for why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then he'd make me forfeit my head. That, that's the kind of guy they're going to be working for. I, I just, I really don't want to forfeit my head today, was that. Verse 11, Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please to fight here. Here's what we're going to do. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat and water. Give us a salad, a veggie plate, whatever. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better than, and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. Now, let me just stop right there because that might be confusing. Being fat in that culture was viewed as a sign of blessing, all right? Wouldn't you like to live in Babylon, by the way? I, that's where I want to live. The fatter, the better is the cultural standard. But, but anyway, I digress. Do you, by the way, I just, this just dawned on me. There's a connection maybe in my head between strawberry pie and wanting to live in Babylon. But, but anyway, and anyway, it gets, gets loud up there. So, so, so let's get back. Verse 16. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them that knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. Uh-oh. 
The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every manner of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. And Daniel continued. Now, this is a very important sentence, but it's going to be a while before we get to this. Daniel continued until the the first year of of Cyrus the, the, the king. Now, now we're going to skip over. Let's go back now to 2 Peter. We're going to skip over what Peter taught in those first four verses, and that's hard. It is hard, uh, but we'll cover that, Lord willing, this fall. But what Peter explained was the beauty and the sufficiency of the salvation that we've been given fully and completely in Christ. But for our purposes this morning, focus on what, or focus on what Peter says we ought to do as a result of that. In other words, tying this all back together, what kind of fruit should we possess? And what he says is, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. One commentator said it like this, and these are very important words. Applying means to bring in or to supply beside. This is what you're doing. And it implies making a strong effort to provide something necessary in view of and parallel to God's endeavor in providing salvation. That's what the first four verses were about. Believers are compelled to call on their regenerate faculties. That's a fascinating statement. Believers are compelled to call on all their… Did you know you had regenerate faculties? All their regenerate faculties to, to live godly lives. He went on to say believers must carry out that effort with with diligence, accompanied by a a sense of of urgency. Now, I just want to suggest to you, friends, we're in a theological minefield right now with what we're seeing in in this passage. You say, why would you say that? Well, Well, because we all believe, I hope, that we're not saved by our works. Right, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So if you're here this morning and you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord, we would not say you need to go out and work on moral excellence. No, this is a, this is a fruit of the Spirit. This is a result of knowing Christ. And it would be impossible to have the kind of integrity that would honor the Lord unless you first have a personal relationship with Him. So we don't come to God with our hands full. Here, look at my good works. Look at all my moral excellence. Now, I ought to be saved. I ought to be on my way to heaven. No. No, no, no. We come to God with our, our hands empty. Anything I'm bringing is like a filthy rag, and I want to I cast that off. I want to admit my sin, and I want to place my faith and trust in what Christ did on the cross as my only hope of salvation. I hope that's happened to you. And if not, I, we would invite you to make that decision today. But, but on the other hand, people who have genuinely come to Christ, and this is what we're seeing now in these verses in Peter that we're studying, if you genuinely come to Christ, you're going to be relying on the power of God to develop spiritual fruit. You're going to be working at that. Now, another way you could just conceptualize these concepts is this. It's, it's the balance between Ephesians 2.8.9 and Ephesians 2.10. And that's very, very important to be looking for theological balance. So, so, so what, what do you mean by that? Well, well here, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. That's what 2 Peter 1, 1 to 4 is about. But if you stop right there, you don't have the complete balance. Because what does the next verse say? For were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's what we're studying now. 
That's what this fruitfulness is all about, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And you may have noticed that, that Peter says, you've got, you got to do your part. And that should remind us of another passage that, that helps us. Look, at the, look for the balance right here. It's Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a fascinating pet concept. For it's God who's at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And when you hear that, you say, wait, 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 wait. Who's working here? Am I the one who's supposed to be working or is God the one who's supposed to be working? And what's the answer to that question? And I'm not trying to trick you, say, he's, he's going to shame me. <laughs> I'm a nice guy. Now, what, what, who's supposed to be working? The answer is both. Both. But, but I'm fairly certain that God did all the work that he was supposed to do last week. He's, he's, his task list is completed, right? He did his work. So there's only one question that remains, right, about last week? And what would that be? <laughs> did I do mine? And did did you do yours? That's what we're talking about now. And that's what Peter's saying. Add to your faith. Or, or, or maybe it would be better understood. Build on your faith, but, but with all diligence, all diligence. And you might say, am I going to have to hear that for the… Pastor Stefan mentioned that last week. You're on it today. Am I going to have to hear that for the next five weeks? Do you know what the answer to that question is? Absolutely. You say, why? Because that's the controlling verb, the governing concept that then introduces all seven of these um, uh, aspects of fruitfulness. And today it's moral excellence. Now, I mentioned this when we were reading. I said, if you're in the habit of writing in your Bible… I realize some of you youngins, you have no idea, like, how could I do that on my phone? <laughs> so I understand, but, but if you are in the habit of writing in your Bible, I would, or, or at least noting something in your Bible, I would encourage you to go back to ver- the end of verse 3. I tried to point this out when we were reading, and look at the word excellence, because what, that's a characteristic that our God possesses. And that is the exact same original word that we're supposed to be growing in. You you could summarize that with this. Our God perfectly possesses moral excellence. Do you agree with that? Our God perfectly possesses moral excellence. And one of the fruits of people like you and me knowing Him is that what? We will be growing in excellence over time or integrity ourselves now, you might say, well, okay, what is moral excellence? What, what are we actually talking about? Here's a good quote, I think. The first virtue, moral excellence, arte, is, it uses the distinctive word in classical Greek for virtue. It was such a lofty term that it was used for moral heroism. I really like that phrase. That, that's possible for people like you and me. That, that's what the word means. Viewed as the divinely endowed ability to excel in heroic, courageous deeds. It came to encompass the most outstanding quality in somebody's life or the proper and excellent fulfillment of a task or duty. It never meant cloistered virtue. So we're not saying, hey, here's what we, moral excellence, everybody needs to go find a flagpole somewhere and get a piece of plywood and crawl up and sit on the flagpole and contemplate your theological navel for the rest of the summer, and then you will have moral, we're not, this is not cloistered. This is not cloistered. This, This is real life. In the normal course of living, that's a, he's a person of integrity. She's a person of integrity. 
The Apostle Paul modeled the pursuit of such spiritual heroism. I I press on. I'm working at this. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that's the question before the house. And I realize it took me a while to get here. But, But this is really what we're talking about this morning. It is your hope in everyday life. That's what our theme is, is this year, is your hope in everyday life, regardless of the trials you might be facing. And by the way, I know that there are people listening to this who are in deep water right now. I know that. But, but I repeat the question, is your hope in everyday life, regardless of the trials that you might be facing, producing the fruit of moral excellence? Or another way to ask it would be, would the people around you, the people who know you well, the people that you work around, the people who observe you, would they say that you're a person of integrity? That's really what we're asking. Now, with that in mind, let's go back to our man, Daniel. And what we're going to do for the, for the rest of our time, and maybe a few extra minutes, we'll, we'll see. I probably shouldn't have said that. Four, four obstacles to integrity that, that God helped Daniel and God can help us overcome. The, the first one is this, the obstacle of making excuses because of your age. I think you would agree with me this morning that Daniel's story has the phrase moral excellence or integrity written all over it, doesn't it? And part of what is amazing is that Daniel and his companions were likely 14 to 15 years old. Now, I do realize this. I realize some of you are brand new studying the Bible. And here's a delightful thing happening at our church right now at all of our campuses. God is bringing an incredible number of people who are new. And I'm so glad for that. Or you might say, well, I've been a Christian for a long time, but it's been a while since I thought about the historical background of the book of Daniel. Okay, okay, let's let's just, we we need to set this, why was this story so important to the exiles? That's really the, the question. So let's just back that truck way up for a minute to the very beginning. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis catalog the amazing truth that, that human beings are made in God's very image with the calling and the ability to live in a way that reflects his character. That's almost too delicious to be true. And we just saw that in Second Peter, right? God has, has perfect moral excellence, and part of the fruitfulness of a person who truly knows him is that we'll be growing in that as well. That's what, that's what it means to be made in the image of God. But the book of Genesis also says this, that we have an incredible ability to walk away from that calling for, for lesser gods or desires or, or temptations. And so the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis are pretty sad. Pretty sad over and over and over pretty sad. That's why Genesis 12 is such a pivotal chapter in the Bible because God comes to a man named Abram. We're doing something different. And he says to Abram, although Abram and his wife are old and they have no children, what God says to Abram is he's going to make of him a great nation. And what's unique about that chapter, and it explains how God is going to work with his people, is he's the one who initiated the relationship, right? Abraham didn't seek out God. God sought out Abraham. What did we see a minute ago in John 15? You have, what did Jesus say? You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I realize you may or may not be comfortable with that concept. You cannot understand your Bible and you, unless you understand the balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. But that's an important part of Genesis chapter 12. And, and now God explains. He's a covenant-making God. I'm making promises to you. And when you think about the Abrahamic covenant, you have to think about three, full, or three provisions. And friend, if I see you at the grocery store this summer... 
thumping on a watermelon. I'm going to come up behind you and I'm going to say, hey, what are the th- what's the threefold provision of the Abrahamic covenant? And before you can remember your name, you need to know this answer because you see this mapped over the, the entire rest of the Bible and it explains why this was such a big deal for Daniel. The threefold provision of the Abrahamic covenant is land, seed, and blessing. Please always remember those words. In fact, if you say, I'm not sure I'm going to remember them, get a tattoo. Okay, that, that, if you've got some space right here, Lance, I'm right. Okay, I shouldn't have said that either. But, 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 but anyway, land, seed, and blessing. And Abram's responsibility is to respond with faith, with belief. God can and will keep his promises. And that is repeated over throughout um, the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And that's how God's chosen nation is born. That started, by the way, say, when did that happen? 2100 B.C. There's some dates I think people ought to know, and that's one of them. Abraham's relationship with God, 2100 B.C. And I'm skipping a lot for sake of time. But you could even think about great days in the history of Israel where they were in their land as a unified nation. Like some of the glory days were under King David, right? They were in their land, and God was blessing them. Land, seed, and blessing. That, by the way, was about 1,000 B.C. if you're looking for dates. But, but, God had always warned his people, here's what's going to happen. You're going to rebel against me, and there's going to have to be a captivity. In fact, this is a fascinating um, place in the Bible. But Deuteronomy um, chapter 28, this is before they go into the promised land. So this would have been written about 1,400 B.C., Deuteronomy 28 predicts that the children of Israel will eventually forsake him as their God, and they will have to go into captivity by a foreign nation. Now, that was in 1400 B.C. is when God said that to his people. Now we're at 600 B.C. So 800 years later, bam, Daniel is there. Daniel's one of the people who has been taken captive to um, Babylon. And here's the idea. If you say, I missed some of that. Get this, I think is important. They're trying to make Babylonians out of them. See, eat our food, wear our clothes, adopt our names, and most importantly, worship our gods. In other words, compromise your moral excellence. That's how this fits together. Compromise your integrity. Stop being like the unique and holy God of Israel. Put off that kind of fruit and blend in with our pagan culture. It's very much like Paul told the Romans. Remember this? Don't be conformed to this world. See, that's the quickest way to lose your integrity. Don't be conformed, or or as J.B. Phillips said in his translation of that verse, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do you think we live in a world that is trying to squeeze you into its mold? Do I need to talk to you about what month this is? Do you think we're living in a world that is trying to squeeze you in? The, 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 um, Nebuchadnezzar was trying to make Babylonians of them. Now, think about this for a minute. From a parental perspective, can you imagine what it would be like for a couple of your teenagers to be taken out of your home and carted off to a foreign land? And, of course, you'd be concerned for their safety. You'd be concerned for their well-being. There'd be the pain of not having them there in your home any longer. But at some point, you'd be asking this. I wonder if my teenagers are going to be able to stand up to that kind of moral pressure, or are they going to fold and give in on moral excellence? You could also think about it like this. What if this had happened to you when you were 14 or 15? For most of us in this room, that would be in the rearview mirror. Think about where you were when you were 14 or 15. 
And if you had been in this kind of situation, would you have compromised your integrity? Now, now, now here's one of the bottom lines of this passage. Daniel didn't let his age stop him from doing what was right. So you, you don't read anything in this book that even approximates an excuse. None of this, hey, I'm, I'm young, so you can't expect me to do right. No, 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 no. Daniel overcame the obstacle of making excuses because of his age. Now, one other thing. This, I think, even becomes more important. Connect this to what we were saying earlier about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Because, see, this book is ultimately not about Daniel. Who's it about? It's about Daniel's God. And, see, the exiles are thinking, is the nation done? Is God done? Does God no longer have any power? No, no, no. Even when his people have to be judged because of their unfaithfulness, God is still working in and through the lives of individual men and women, some who are quite young, and helping them develop moral excellence in the face of incredible pressure. And that ought to fill our hearts with hope. Why? Because if that was possible for Daniel then, then it's possible for what? It's possible for me and you when? Right now, regardless of the, the, the pressure that we might be in. Now, now, what are some hopeful, I think there's hope just mapped all over this, but what, is, what are some of the lessons? Well, there's the importance and value of training children and young people to love God. You know, one of the many subjects that's left out of this book is Daniel's parents. We don't know anything about what they did with Daniel prior to him leaving their home. Wouldn't you like to know that? We don't know if they even knew um, where their son was or the choice. It's not like they said, well, we just FaceTimed with him last night. I mean, they, they wouldn't have, we, we don't know. Did they know? We don't know if they were alive. We don't know if they were also deported. We, we don't know. But here's, here's what we can say based on the evidence. Somebody did something right. Right, right, right. Because Daniels don't come out of the womb like Daniel. Somebody did something right. Somebody cared about teaching truth and living for truth and modeling truth. And it wasn't because they knew, well, this is going to happen to Daniel in a couple of years. We better get ready for it. Right? Somebody faithfully um, poured into this young man's life. And when the unexpected happened, he is ready. You know what that means. There, there's great value in seeking to raise young people to love and obey the Lord. And I just want to commend, we've got a lot of people here who are parents and um, you're, you're doing the best job you can. We're, we're not perfect, right? Parenting will expose your weaknesses. Could I get a mm-hmm on that? Because they do know how to press your buttons. It's amazing how, how early in their life they learn the nature of your, and location of your buttons. It's, it's just amazing. I, I, weren't you, I, I was a perfect parent, perfect, until I had kids. I mean, then, then, but, but so, so I'm not saying anybody's perfect, but there's a lot of people here. You worked hard at raising your children in the nurture and admonition of Christ last week. You're going to work hard, Lord willing, uh, next week. You, you take that very, very seriously. And if that's the kind of parent you're trying to be, take encouragement from the book of Daniel. There's great value in it. Now, I want to put a disclaimer on that, that, that that's not an ironclad guarantee because at some point, every young person has to make up their mind right? God doesn't have grandchildren. God does not have grandchildren. I've seen this. I've been to this for a long time, and I've watched a lot of families, a lot of trajectories, and I've known some parents who, are, they wouldn't say they were perfect, but they were good parents. They did the very best they could, and in some cases, their kids didn't turn out so well. 
Well, I, I hope no one, if you're in that situation, I hope no one would ever feel ashamed about that. And I hope this church would never shame anybody who's in that situation. And let me also say, if you're in that situation, let me just say this. Please remember that just because it's a bad chapter, that doesn't mean it's the final chapter. Because we've seen some people later in life repent and turn around. Don't ever give up hope if that's the situation in which you find yourself. I've also seen this happen. There's some parents who would stand up here that tell you this. We didn't do a particularly good job at raising our kids, and the Lord blessed us with some kids and grandkids who love the Lord in ways that shocking the fire out of us. So I'm not, this is not like making chocolate chip cookies. If you get the recipe right, they're always going to taste good at the end. That's not the way it works. But I'm saying this. Let's have hope. Let's have hope because of what we're seeing in Daniel's integrity. I also just want to say a word to the people in our church who, who serve in, in youth ministry. Um, thank you for doing that. And we have people who serve. They, they don't just count their faithfulness in youth ministry in years. They count their faithfulness in ministry to our kids in decades. And that doesn't mean you're taking over mom and dad's job, but philosophically we're trying to support the job that mom and or dad are doing in the home. And I know that can be challenging. Take encouragement. What are we trying to do? I mean, why do we have Sunday school? Why do we have youth? Why? 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 It's because we're looking for the next Daniel, or we're looking for the next Danielle. And by the way, do you realize that could be a person in vacation Bible school? And you might say, that kid's driving me crazy. It's Wednesday. It's driving me crazy. Sometimes the kids who would drive people the craziest because of all their energy, if you can get that channeled in the right direction, you're going to have a Daniel. You're going to have a Danielle. And some of the, our youth workers, they know that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And listen, you might look at this culture. Again, think about the, what, what the people, the original recipients of that book would have seen. This culture is careening out of control. There's no, God can't do anything with anybody. No, look at Daniel. And if you look at our culture right now and just, just give up hope, no, 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 no. Why? God helped people who are 14 and 15 years old live with this level of integrity. Also, God can help you. Let me talk to some of the young people who are here. God can help young people do. And I, you say, what's a young person? Anybody younger than me. I mean, you, you decide whether you fit in, in that category. But you know what? That's one of the things I love about Christianity is you don't have to be a certain age chronologically or spiritually before God can start using you. Do you believe that? You realize Daniel didn't even have peach fuzz on his face. And yet he's accomplishing things in the name of God more so than many of the Jewish adults of his day. One of the things I love about the children's ministries here at Faith is that when, when kids start aging out of some of our programs, in some cases they just immediately start volunteering. So you have somebody that ages out of um, children's Sunday school and they immediately become a worker in children's Sunday school. Or like Vacation Bible School, I used to go to VBS, but now I'm too old for VBS, and so now I'm serving in VBS. That, that is a marvelous, marvelous thing. See, see Daniel overcame the, the obstacle of making excuses because of his age. Also, let me just talk to one other category while we're in this neighborhood. God can also use people who are young in the faith. Because you might say, hey, hey, I'm not young chronologically, but I haven't known the Lord very long. Well, what can you learn here? God can still use you. You don't have to be a Christian for because Daniel didn't know the Lord that long, right? We don't know all the details, but it could have been that long. And so I realized you can come into a church like this. There's a lot of people who have been growing for a long time, serving for a long time. It can actually be intimidating. Don't let that happen. 
If God could use Daniel at this tender age chronologically, God can use you at your tender age spiritually, spiritually. Now, let's keep moving. Um, and I know you say, You're, you always don't have enough time for the end. I know. I've been doing this a long time. You think I'd get better. But, but, but anyway, there's also the obstacle of becoming bitter because of your place. I, I don't know. that You say, why did you spend the time talking about land seed blessing? I don't know if people like you and me can understand what it would have been, what it would have been like for someone like Daniel and his friends to be taken from their land. Right, Americans, we move all the time, right? We, we, we don't have any affinity necessarily to, to, to our land. Remember, for God's chosen nation, an essential aspect of the covenant God made with them was their land, right? Land, seed, blessing. It was a sacred gift. It was a sacred trust. That, by the way, is why there's so much tension in that part of the world today. And there always has been, there always will be, because of the, the significance of that land He'd been taken from the promised land. And here's what I want to point out. Daniel and his friends very easily could have responded with, I can't live with moral excellence as long as God has me in this place. He wouldn't expect me to, and I couldn't do it even if he did. And a good question for all of us is, am I letting the disappointment of whatever place I'm in be my excuse for sinning in some way? Can I repeat that one? Am I letting the disappointment of whatever place I'm in be my excuse for sinning in some way? So, for example, maybe you have a professor who gives an unreasonable amount of work. You know, there's some professors like that. So does that mean it's okay to cheat? Because God has me in this place, I'm going to compromise my integrity. God wouldn't expect... No, 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 no. And by the way, the whole cheating thing in college, this AI thing is amazing. And I know there's some professors who have an ability to, to tell whether or not that paper was written using whatever um, AI software you might be using. It would appear to me that, that people are developing those tools faster than ethicists and authorities can keep up. You know, um, I was in Mexico City with Frank Oliver. Um, he's on our staff. And um, we were there on May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. And so the guy from Mexico City is driving the car. I'm sitting next to him. And then Frank's in the back. And um, so I said to the guy driving, who was from Mexico City, hey, what is Cinco de Mayo? I don't even know. Wait, what is Cinco de Mayo? And so the guy starts talking a little bit, and then he starts rambling this way, and then, he starts, and then he says, you know, I'm not really doing a very good job of explaining this, am I? And, you know, I'm a sweet guy. But, but in my head I said, no, you're really not. I mean, I, I, I know you just talked for three minutes, and I know, know more than I knew when I asked. But, but, but then all of a sudden, Frank starts giving off this whole spiel. It's like Frank is an expert on Cinco de Mayo. How did that happen? Perfectly worded. It's amazing. I look back, and while I had asked that question, he used, and I don't know, what is it? Um, is some sort of a AI program. I don't know. What do I know? And he, he, he typed in, write a 300-word essay on Cinco de Mayo. And bam, I mean like bam. I mean like in a minute, he had a perfectly worded essay that's a temptation for people in college. See, because my professor isn't, because of the place I'm in, it's okay for me to compromise my integrity. Wrong, 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 wrong. And if you use that, you will come up with all sorts of reasons. So he didn't let the hard circumstances that he was in determine his choices. You might say, what's hard circumstances? I mean, all he did was give up some food. No, he was about to work for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a ruthless person. 
But Daniel did not say, because I'm in this place, because that is a very, very, that's a, if you get yourself there logically, it's going to take you to a bad place. I had to lie. I had to lie on this expense report because I'm not being paid what I think I'm worth. I, I had to lash out in sinful anger because my wife, my husband, my kids, my in-laws. See, the problem is not me. The problem is my place. And I would just ask all of us this morning, is there any way you're compromising your integrity because of the uncomfortableness of your place? And take hope. That doesn't have to happen. It doesn't happen to Daniel, and it doesn't have to happen to you. There's also the obstacle of giving in just to the small compromises. What, what was going on with this food? Why, why was that even an issue? We don't know for sure, but it was something. It would have been a violation of the Old Testament dietary laws that had likely been offered up to foreign gods. And you might say, well, but in the grand scheme of things, was that really an issue? Yeah, yeah, just a little step, but also a deadly one. And the lesson there is Babylonian makers won't ask you to become one all at once. They'll just ask you to take one small step at a time, just a little compromise. Don't worry about integrity there. Just a little backing down, just a little giving in. Proverbs says it like this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, your need like, a, like an armed man. Do you face any situations this past week where you were tempted to compromise your relationship with Christ? Did you face any situations this week where you were tempted not to be a person of moral excellence? <laughs> we all were, right? We all were. How'd you do? How'd you do? And for anybody who would say, it was just a little thing, just a little lie, it was just a little off-color joke, it was just a little glance, it was just a little... Listen, if we want to be like Daniel, if we want to add to our faith moral excellence, we have to be committed to not giving in to the small compromises of life. And lastly, the Lord allowed Daniel to overcome the obstacle of being distanced from your God. What was this whole thing about the names? Well, the names they had spoke of their love for God. Right? And Daniel means God is my judge. And each one of their, their names when they were in Jerusalem meant something about their God. Well, the Babylonians didn't like that. And so the Babylonians gave them new names, which was seeking to distance them from the true God of Israel and give them a growing affinity to their gods, the Babylonian gods. See the pressure? Worship our idols, fit into our culture, don't stand out, and more than anything else, don't show allegiance to the one true God. Hey, aren't you glad about this? that 2,500 years ago, God helped these young men have lives of moral excellence? And ultimately, to whom is all this pointing? And the answer is to the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if you don't know this book, you might say, I bet Daniel didn't live very long <laughs> living like that. Oh, no, no. That's what that last verse was about. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. You know what that means? Daniel's ministry spanned 70 years, the entire length of the captivity. And here's the point of that. The most important king wasn't Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar or whomever was on the human throne at the time. The most important king was the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life and ministry is mapped all over this book, including this vision that Daniel himself had. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. That's what the, the, the exiles needed to hear that. 
And it came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Have the right king, and you'll be a person of integrity. His dominion is a what? Is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Friends, that's the Savior that makes moral excellence possible. And that's just yet another reason that people like you and me, I know the culture is careening out of control. We can be people of hope. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for what your word teaches us on this important topic. And I pray that we would just evaluate how we're doing in the matter of, of integrity. And Lord, if there's areas that need to change, I pray that we would add to our faith um, this characteristic diligently. And Father, thank you that Jesus Christ stands ready to, to give us all of the strength necessary to make that happen. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.